You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. So you've actually changed seats. That's cool. Hey, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to uh, be here with you. Last week, you got to experience a little video, and uh, it's been cool to hear your stories and, and how you've engaged with that. And glad to, that um, you allowed me an opportunity to be away for, for a weekend and still be with you. And uh, it was a weekend where we got to, to celebrate our daughter. It's her last college softball game, and so they retired her and all of that. And so it's been good, a good time, but we're glad to be there. So um, hey, that's not a bad B team for worship, is it? They're not too bad. All right. So uh, the B team, the B team will be here tonight at six. And uh, so join them. And they're going to be going to Spain this summer and um, doing ministry. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's interesting to see when you go around to other countries how important. Obviously, music is important in the United States. But there's something about music elsewhere around the world when a group gets together and does quality music. Like you show up at a park. And you just start playing music, and you draw crowds. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And so that's one of the things that Nick can actually be doing in Spain is just open-air concerts with great musicians. And um, to see people come to hear the music and not know, but at some point during and all throughout, to hear the stories of those musicians, and they're hearing the gospel. And to see people come to know Christ because of that. And so that's why Nick and Ashley are here today as they prepare for that, is to kind of tell you a little bit about that tonight. And then also for us to be able to join um, in with them and that possibility as far as being able to, to give them, bless them financially to help them do that. So I pray that you'll consider being here tonight and being a part of that and receive the blessing of some of the music that they sing and they'll sing over there. So um, today we're going to talk about listening. And uh, as I was talking about that with my wife this week, she said, hey, what are you preaching on? I know you're not going to have a video. And, and I said, hey, I'm going <clears throat> to be preaching on listening. She stopped and she goes, you sure this shouldn't have someone else be teaching that lesson? <laughs> and I was like, ha, 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 funny, just like that. And uh, I'm like, sorry, too late to change it. It's going to be me. But um, so anyway, so today we're thinking about this idea of listening as we think about blessed, beginning with prayer and then listening. And so what does it mean for us to listen? And so we're going to dig into that idea today. And so I want to throw a term out at you that you may not know the term, but you've experienced it. And it's called Mondegreen or an Oronym. How many of y'all know what that means? Everybody's like, I have no idea. A couple of people, maybe. All right. It's so whenever you hear a word or a phrase, but you hear it incorrectly, you misinterpret that phrase or whatever, that, that word. And so we see this a lot of times happening when it comes to music, right? And so let me throw some songs up there and kind of let you see. So here's a song. It's a um, Phil Young song, Every Time You Go Away. And the phrase is, every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you, which, you know, hey, that sounds very romantic. All right. Um, here's what people have a tendency to hear. Every time you go away, you take a piece of meat with you, which has a whole different meaning to it. Another one is this Credence Clearwater Revival song. There's a bad moon rising, right? There's a bad moon on the rise. And this is one of my favorite ones. Yeah, woo. Um, here's what people have a tendency to hear. There's a bathroom on the right. Again, that's a, which is important stuff to know, but that's not what they're talking about. 
um, or Bob Dylan, Blowing in the Wind is the song, and the lyrics are the answer, comma, my friend. And so I don't know Bob Dylan, you know, he kind of slurs things every once in a while. And here's what people hear. <laughs> the ants are my friends, which is good. I mean, that would be good. The, there's the movie, The Ants, and as we know, fire ants are not our friends. And so, but um, another song is Rolling Stone's Beast of Burden, and it says, I'll never be your Beast of burden, but here is what people hear. I'll never leave your pizza burning. Which again is important if you work at Domino's. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to burn the pizza. Um, but anyway, so all that to just say, hey, listen, we have a listening problem. Even Becky and I recently, I was in a spot in life where just allergies and stuff had taken over and, and, um, I was just clogged up. I don't know if you ever had that. You're just clogged up and you're like, you're in a well when you're talking, even like, I'll be up here talking, and I think I'm yelling at you guys, and Becky's like, I can't hear you, you know, because it's just it's still, and, and so she would say something, and I'd be like, huh, you know, thinking about maybe a couple years ahead, and so we were kind of laughing about it, and one day we were walking in somewhere, and she said something, and like, I knew what she said. It was obvious what she said, but I heard something radically different. You ever have those moments? And so I said, do you want me to tell you what I think you said or what I heard you say? And she's like, I don't know. And she said, well, tell me what you heard me say. And so I said it, and it was, it was pretty funny in light of the situation. And so that's what we did for the next few weeks as I was working through all of that. And we had a lot of laughs. Some of it wasn't an appropriate things that I heard, so I had to check my heart a few times. But, um, but we have a listening problem. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells us we have a listening problem, and he says it this way. Be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. And it's a myriad of things that he means by this, and we'll kind of dig into that throughout this message, but to be careful how you listen. And so we're in an age where we struggle with listening. Proverbs chapter 18 says it this way, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. In other words, we have our opinions in Proverbs chapter 18, 13. We have our opinions, and so we just have a tendency to just kind of spout our stuff. We see this all the time on TV and all the different social media. And then also one of my favorite books is by Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey, one of his seven habits that he talks about is just this. He says, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. In other words, don't be so caught up in your life and your agenda and your story that you don't pay attention to other people first. And even what Jesus says, the first shall be last, to serve other people. So what are some of the obstacles that we have to listening? One of those obstacles is we're just too busy telling our own story. We're too busy telling people our story because we want to be heard, we want to be loved, and so we meet people and they just they ask a question, all of a sudden, boom, here we go, and we just what I call verbal vomit. We just vomit our entire story, we tell everything, and people are going, uh-huh, 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 and then 30 minutes later, you're like, they go, <gasps> and you think you're going to get a word in, and they're like, and they keep going, right? And it's because we want to be heard, we want to be known, we want to be loved, and so there's this tendency to just tell all this stuff and just to kind of get your deal out. Then we're also in an age where we're too busy building our own brand. We want to control the narrative of what people think and say about us. 
And so we work on a brand and building up. And so when people see us and think about us, we're kind of already telling who we are and kind of preparing them for our brand and who we are and what we're about. So we don't listen to other people. We just kind of prepare ourselves. Also, there's just too many distractions. There's a lot of physical noise, you know. I mean, as we go around, we have a tendency, many of us, we have an opportunity to kind of go outside of the city limits for a little bit and have some peace and quiet. But you think about it, when you're in the city, just the noise that we have and how when you turn off a TV for a little bit, if you turn off the radio for a little bit and just sit in silence, how relaxing that feels for just a moment. But there's just a lot of noise. There's also psychological noise. Psychological noise is that stuff that's going on in our mind. Sometimes when we push pause on the physical noise, the psychological noise gets really, really loud because we haven't spent time with ourselves in so long, our mind begins to just chase and run. That's why at night when you turn everything off and you go to bed, what does your mind have a tendency to do? It races and it thinks about all the things that you didn't get accomplished today and all the things that you got to do tomorrow. And so you got all this different stuff going on because throughout the day you haven't stopped and paused all the physical noise to deal with the psychological noise. And so that's one of the reasons that sleep experts and doctors are telling us that we struggle with sleeping because we're downloading the day and then thinking about tomorrow because we haven't done it well before then. There's also physiological noise. Have you ever been in a conversation where you can just feel it? You can feel the tenseness or you, you have a conversation about to happen and you can feel the tension in your body because of it. And so we have a tendency to avoid those conversations. Usually those conversations have to do with if we think there's going to be or we anticipate conflict and the physiological changes that happen within us, we have a tendency to then avoid those conversations because we think it's going to be really bad. If I'm tense now... In the conversation, it's going to get really bad. And you can just kind of feel your muscles and everything inside of you tensing up. So there's that physiological noise. And then there's also this thing that we just talked about, this semantic noise, that we hear words and we don't know the meaning. We don't understand the meaning. So sometimes we're talking and we'll say the same word, cool. And cool can mean it's actually cold, that you're cool, that means that you're popular, whatever it is. I mean, there's different words that have different meanings, and people say things, and we think we're hearing what we're saying, but they're using that word in a totally different context. And we don't share the same pool of words, and so that adds to confusion in our conversations, because we think we're talking, and we're actually over-talking each other, not clearly understanding. Another reason that we struggle with listening is just because we have bad listening skills, um, I've seen it. I've done it. You're on technology while you're talking to people. Anybody done that this week? You say you're listening and you're checking your ticker talker, right? All this stuff. We have a tendency to say that we can multitask. And can I tell you that research has now proven over and over and over and over again that we think we multitask well and we do not that we actually do not do deep work because we are trying to multitask and to do too many things, that we bring into a conversation prejudices, that we already think we know the answer, we think we already know this person, so we don't really listen to those things. We also have distorted listening. You've ever played the telephone game? Remember that as a kid, that someone would start the game and they would say a certain phrase or whatever, and then by the end you go around. It doesn't take very many. You go by the end, at the end of the line, it's a totally different phrase or whatever than what started and that happens in real life we take it we interpret again what did we think we hear and then we pass it on to other people um there's aggressive listening or we're, we're just aggressive listeners we kind of just move on to the next thing there's narcissistic listening 
which means we take what we're hearing and we turn it in about ourselves and tell people about how we have a similar story and we're one-uppers, know that situation. And then there's pseudo-listening. So the peanuts teacher, wah, 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 wah. All the parents say, yes, I know that one because my kid does that to me, right? They pseudo-listen. So unheard plus unknown equals unloved. Unheard plus unknown equals unloved. We want people to know us and to hear our stories, but in the busyness and the chaos of the day, many of us don't feel like we're heard and we're not, that we don't feel like we're known, and so we have a sense of being unloved. Matter of fact, listening is one of the most practical ways that we can bless people around us. Stopping, putting down our technology, putting away other things, and just stop and to listen. One of the things we need to do in the midst of that is to learn how to listen to people's hearts. It's a great story about a French doctor in 1816, Dr. René Lenon, created this thing called the stethoscope. Y'all heard of it? Yeah, pretty common thing that we have now, but in 1816, he created it. And the reason he created it was because he was a male doctor, and he felt uncomfortable listening to the heartbeat of females that he had to care for because he didn't have a stethoscope. So he's like, there's got to be a way that I can do my job and listen to the heart without having to put my ear as close to the female as he was having to do at that time. And so he created the stethoscope. Well, as with all good technology, the doctors loved this technology and began to use it and began to listen to the heart. And it became, they became very dependent upon it, which is good. But one of the things that he was famous for saying is if you use this tool, don't stop listening to your patients because they will tell you how to heal them. In other words, everyone has a story. And one of the most practical and powerful ways is to listen to the people, to bless them by listening. There's four H's to listening. If you are someone who's trying to like, I'm I just not a very good listener, here's some, here's some things that you can ask people. One is you can just ask them, hey, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me about yourself, the history of someone. Another H that you can get to know someone by is to get to know their heart a little bit. Tell me your favorite, what's your favorite team what's your favorite food what's your favorite whatever and begin people will begin to tell a little bit more about themselves and dig in tell me about your habits what do you like to do why do you like to do it because listen people have habits and they put a lot of time and money and investment into those habits and i guarantee you if you ask them hey why do you do x why do you ride motorcycles why do you do these different things then all of a sudden they'll kind of get into that and they'll tell you the reason that they're into that and you'll get to know a little bit of their heart and, and what their habits are. And then also begin to know people's hurts. How are you doing with X? Because all of us have some hurts and some hang-ups in our lives. And so as you get to know somebody over time, you get to know a little bit of history, a little bit of their habits, a little bit of those different things, there will come a time to be able to ask about the hurts. One of the things early on in marriage is I'm naturally someone who likes to fix things, okay? So that's part of the pastoral heart, right? People come and say, hey, pastor, I have X problem. And you're like, hey, let's sit down and think through how we can probably fix this. Well, there was a time early in marriage where Becky came to me and she said to me, she came home from a long days, you know, we're in college, finishing up college and we just got married. So we're trying to do all this stuff and working. And so one day late at night, she came in and she's just like, oh, 
And she started to talk about her day, and immediately I interrupted because I was going to fix it. And she said, whoa, 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 stop. I don't need you to fix it. Just listen. Just listen. I don't need you to fix it. I know that's what you feel like your gift is, and I know you're good at it right now. I don't need you to put all the puzzle pieces together and and, and make this path right and to fix one, because I I don't even necessarily know the people involved, but just stop, don't fix it, and listen. Why? Because heard people that are known feel loved. And in the midst of that, in the midst of our busyness, to just stop, And to listen. Put down our phones, put down our multitasking, and just stop. There's a great author by the name of Dallas Willard, and he's a pastor. He just recently passed away, but he's a pastor to pastors. And one of the things that he's written, he says this, The first act of love is always giving the first attention. The first act of love is always giving the first attention. In other words, putting your agenda aside to pay attention to the other's agenda. So you and I, as followers of Jesus, we have a model for good listening. And that model is the person of Jesus. If you look throughout the New Testament, Jesus asked 307 questions and answered three. Now, he was asked a lot of questions, but he only answered three of them. One of the reasons he's like, because you fools aren't paying attention to what I'm doing. If you were to watch what I'm doing, you wouldn't have to ask these questions. I don't have to talk with my mouth, my words, and my actions, or my answers. But Jesus asked a lot of questions. One of the questions that he asked his disciples was after he'd been doing some miracles, he says, Who does man say that I am? Now, that was an important question because they're starting to ask. He's the prophet Elijah. He's all these different things. And so he's talking to his disciples. Who are these people saying that I am? They let him talk it out for a little bit as a little Socratic method of teaching. And the next thing you know, he asks them, who do you say that I am? Because those men have those different things, but you guys have been doing life with me for a little bit. Who do you say that I am? Those are important questions that Jesus asks and that we have to answer for ourselves. So Jesus in Luke chapter 18 asked a question. He said this, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. So like common like today, when someone's in need, they sit at the highways and byways at paths where people are going to cross and high traffic. And so here's a guy who's in need. He's blind. He's begging. He's there with this cup. I imagine you can hear him shaking. So he's hearing a crowd. And so he's shaking his cup. Okay. And so when he heard the noise of a crowd, he's hearing more noise than normal. He's asking what happening. He's blind. He can't see. He's just hearing a lot of noise. And so the crowd tells him. That Jesus the Nazarene is going by. And so he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So here, here, here's what I imagine. Here's the street. And so as the, the crowd's going by, they're following Jesus. And so they're actually, they're in front of him. That he, Jesus couldn't see him if he wanted to because the crowds are there and they're blocking him. He's sitting in his normal spot. But he's heard some of these stories about Jesus. And now he hears that Jesus is passing by. And so he's shouting out with as loud as he possibly can, I imagine. And in the midst of this, the people that are following Jesus say, stop, be quiet. But he knows, I don't know when Jesus is going to pass by again. So he shouts louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Which seems like an odd question. The man is blind, but because he's blind, he's poor. He's considered an outcast because of his disablement. And so Jesus asked him the question, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't assume that Jesus knew the answer. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. I want to see. Which sounds obvious, doesn't it? And Jesus said, all right. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, he didn't take up mud and mix up some mud and put it on his eyes. He didn't do any of these other things that we see in stories. He's like, okay. Because you've asked, you get it. Which is kind of cool. That would be kind of cool if we were walking along. Someone asked, hey, can I have a house? Yeah, sure. Here's the keys. Right? But instantly, the man could see and he followed Jesus. I bet that changed the vibe of the day. Praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Have you ever had that moment where you get to ask the question like, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Not assuming, but what do you want? What other thing could he have asked for? Jesus, give me some money. Fill my cup. He could have. Jesus, fill my cup. Give me a little bit of extra money. But he asked for the big ask. And Jesus gave it. In John chapter 5, Jesus returned to Jerusalem from one of the holy days. And inside the city near the sheep gate, there was a pool of Bethesda. And there was five covered porches. So there's places where people could, could lay and sit. Imagine this big old pool. And it was a, a spring-fed pool. Okay, so it's really cold if you've ever been to a spring-fed pool. It's really cold. And it bubbles up every once in a while. And so you can imagine these sitting areas, people with their lounge chairs, their drinks with umbrellas in it and all that stuff. That's what I imagine. I'm, I don't know if they did, but that's what I imagine. All right. <clears throat> And so there's the scene. And every single day, crowds of sick people will come to this place because there was a story, and it had been perpetuated, that if you got into the pool, if you're the first one into the pool when the pool bubbled, that you would be healed. Now, apparently this had happened on several occasions because this story had been perpetuated for years, and people were coming back because of the hope that they would have for this healing. So we don't know all the ins and outs, but apparently there's some healings that happen because of this. So you can imagine these people coming. They're, they're there. They're blind. They're lame. They're paralyzed. And they lay on these porches. And one of the men had been sick for 38 years, coming there every single day. Can you imagine for every day for 38 years, your hope is to get to be the first one in the pool when it bubbles up? And that every single day, the desperation of what you're wanting in the sense of losing hope, I would imagine over those time of like, I'm just never going to get it. And one of the reasons is because his legs didn't work. So he's pulling himself. So imagine every single day he gets up early and pulls himself through the streets to get to the pool so he can sit there. And for 38 years, it hasn't happened. And so he gets at the end of the day, takes his mat and however he gets it, puts it on his back and he crawls himself back to his home hoping that tomorrow will be a new day. And tomorrow is going to be a new day for him. 
And when Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, again, it seems like an obvious question. It's like a Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you, right? And he asked him, would you like to get well? And we're thinking, dude, Jesus, 38 years? And it's not like, it's not like these are comfortable roads. These are dirt roads with, with mud and dung, and he's pulling himself. If for no other reason, let's get him in the pool because he needs a bath. Do you want to get well? And I can't, he says. For I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. So think about this. For 38 years, he's going to this pool with hope and expectation to be healed. But he knows that no one is there to help him push him in. He knows that everyone else or many others have him and will get him there. But he doesn't. But he's still showing up. Maybe he's hoping one day nobody else shows up but himself. But he keeps showing up. And so he says, I can't, sir. No one here is able to help me. Someone always gets in there ahead of me. And Jesus says to him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly, isn't it amazing when they, Jesus says it, instantly it happens. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Would you like to get well? That's a question Jesus asks us. He doesn't assume that we want to get well. There's times that people come into my office and we're talking and we're talking. And I'm like, you've repeated the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Do you really want to get well? We assume that people do. But sometimes we're just used to the same old thing after 38 years. We don't know what we're afraid of what getting well looks like. Do you imagine how radically different this guy's life is after 38 years of dragging himself to the pool? I mean, I, I don't, like, how did he instantly get up? If he hadn't been able to walk and no one could push him over, all of a sudden something had to happen in his physical body where he felt it so that he could stand up, pick up his mat, and go. Something transpired inside of his body for him to know that that happened. And I think the cool side note is the religious people got mad because it was on Sunday or Saturday. They're like, you can't do this. It's, it's worship day. <laughs> Another story, Luke 5. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. The other guy didn't have friends. This guy does. And they tried to take him in side to Jesus. Jesus was teaching. It was a day of teaching. And so the place was packed out. He'd unrolled the scrolls. He's teaching. So the room is crowded. People on the outside are there. They're listening. The, the windows have been pushed out so they can hear. So the crowd is there and no one could, could get in and around in the building. And so these guys wanted to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus because they'd heard the stories that he might heal their friend. So they went up to the roof, which sometimes we hear the roof. It sounds like the roof is caving in here when the kids are playing really loud. And so he went up on the roof, and they began to remove the tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So again, my weird mind, I'm like, these guys had to have rope. They got four ends on this dude, and they're like dropping it down. It's like, and Jesus is teaching now in Isaiah 35. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he is paralyzed, but we don't want to just go boom, drop him. We don't want to make it worse. And so they're just like, 
this whole time? And something like they're, they're like, something's going on. And I'm sure Jesus is like, huh, those guys are persistent. And they drop him right in front. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now that's important. But that ain't why he's there. His friends didn't bring him there so his sins would be forgiven. I would imagine that they were there. They brought a paralyzed man so he would become unparalyzed. And so sometimes Jesus does what we really need more than what we think we need. Because he needed his sins forgiven more than he needed to be unparalyzed. But Jesus, being Jesus, is going to use this as a teaching moment. And so he forgives the sins. And then guess what? The religious people who knew everything. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? Just because he's got a crowd around him, just because he teaches with authority like no one else, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So you can imagine the murmuring in the crowd. So Jesus is watching the murmuring. And so he asks them, why do you question what I've said in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? Because in reality, I mean, there's, there's nothing outwardly that necessarily changes because he said your sins are forgiven. So theoretically, it's easier to say that than to say stand up and walk. Because they wouldn't see the physical transformation happen. So Jesus says, I will prove to you then that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat. And go home. And what? Immediately, instantly, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat. I wouldn't have picked up my mat. And he went home praising God. And everyone was gripped with wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Like, yeah, duh. One, you saw a guy drop through the deal. And then he runs out. And immediately, he ran out. Listen. This man had a pain problem. He was in pain. He was in physical pain. This man had a penny problem. In those days, if you were paralyzed or you were, you were blind or whatever, you didn't have money, so you're begging. All right? He also had a power problem. He didn't have the power or authority to get healed. He didn't have answers. He, he didn't have the doctors that could heal him. But, 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 he had neighbors that saw him and listened to him. And they solved his pain problem or they were hoping to solve his pain problem, his penny problem. And his power problem, and they brought him before Jesus. And they brought him to get physically healed, but Jesus not only physically healed him, but healed the thing that needed to be healed more, forgave his sins. That's our call. 
as followers of Jesus is to pray for and to listen to God and to listen to our neighbors and to find out what they need and to be honest with ourselves and say there's a lot of things that our neighbors need and many times the source of their needs don't come from the money or from other things. It comes from a need for Jesus and to bring our friends before the one that has the power and authority, that has the money, that has the ability to solve the pain, the penny, and the power problems, and to offer forgiveness of sins, and to do the healing that only he can do. His healing was not based upon his faith, but on the friend's faith. For see, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have faith. But you and I do. And so it's in our faith in Jesus and what he's done in our life that we've seen and trusted and know. We've tasted and seen. So therefore, we bring our friend in front of Jesus so they can taste and see the same Jesus that we know and we have faith in. That's our call. That is sharing our faith. Is listening to our neighbors and saying, hey, I have the answer. And it's in the person of Jesus. Can I take you to him? And let him do what only Jesus does. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that someone in our life brought us before your son, Jesus. Whether it's our parents, grandparents, a friend, a neighbor, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a junior high friend, a high school friend, whoever. And they listened and they invited us to Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be that type of church. That we're just on the prowl to love our neighbors and, and to know at some point as we hear people's stories, to know, hey, they, there's some stuff in their life that we can't solve. That the only solution is Jesus and to bring our friends and our neighbors to you. Father, may we be wonderful listeners to you, but also to our neighbors. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. As we continue our time of worship today, don't forget there's stations, there's a cross on the back, there's candles, there's communion. And uh, your opportunity to respond to the message of listening. And so this morning, as Nick and Ashley sing over us, I want you to stand for just a moment. We're going to do something. Y'all can go ahead and stand. Go ahead. And uh, they're going to sing over us. And as they sing over us, I want you to, to just ask this question. Spirit, I don't usually stop. Even on Sunday morning, you come to church and you're busy, you're going, you're doing, you come and you hear some songs, you hear a message. And even then, just to stop and just listen. So this morning, as Nick and Ashley sing over us, I pray that you would just pray this prayer with me. Spirit, just, just speak to me. May I, God, may I hear from you today. May I hear in the depths of my heart and my soul what you need to say to me. Because I'm stopping and pausing from all the other stuff of the world, and I want to hear just from you this morning. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. 
It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.